The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kessarilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Fed Chair Jay Powell scraps his patient rate approach in a prelude to a potential cut. Meanwhile, he had a press conference and he had to respond to a scoop by Bloomberg's very own Jennifer Jacobs and Saleh Mosin. We'll tell you what the Fed Chair says about the drama, the drama between he and President Trump. Meanwhile, President Trump, for his part, well, we're going to break down all of that monumental, that marathon, not marathon speech that came off to his campaign rally last night in Orlando, Florida. He was fired up. But what does it mean? What does it mean for the crowded Democratic presidential primary field? And what can we glean from the policy implications of that speech last night? 20,000 people. 20,000 people, they're saying, showed up at that rally uh, in Orlando, Florida. Battleground, Orlando, Florida. Here for the hour, Mark Ross, founder of Caracol Global. Maddie Dupler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Pope Hicks appearing for closed-door testimony on Capitol Hill earlier today. She was declining to answer some of the questions during a closed-door session with members and staff of the House Judiciary Committee, the Democratic-controlled House Judiciary Committee. We're going to get to that coming up later on in the program. But she was up there on Capitol Hill. So was U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. Day two, day two of his testimony. He was also over on the House side. Uh, He was in the Senate yesterday talking about tariffs, talking about trade policy. We're going to talk that with our all-star panel as well. Mark Ross is here, founder of Caracol Global. Maddie Dupler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. But, you know, we previewed all the stuff coming up, but I want to dive right in to the Federal Reserve because Federal Reserve, the Fed, the central bank, indicating a readiness to lower interest rates, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, for the first time in more than a decade More than a decade, they're citing uncertainties in the outlook that have increased the case for a cut as officials seek to prolong the near-record U.S. economic expansion. Jay Powell uh, saying that they are uh, leaving their key rate in a change of 2.5% to 2.5%. And they dropped a reference in their statement to being patient. 
Maddie Dupler, break this, translate this Fed speak, <laughs> wonky speak. I mean, I live for it, but 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 walk us down if you're in your car on your way home from work. What does this mean? Yes, for the from the central bank today. So top line from the Fed is that there's no change in rates. Now the Fed does meet again in July at the yep. end of July. So the expectation now is that there will be a change in policy from the Federal Reserve <clears throat> after that meeting in July. But in June, what we were looking to see from the chairman and from the committee was is what are the facts on the ground that are informing the Fed decision? And we got a couple, I think, interesting comments from Powell today that clarified that a little bit. Of course, the uh, chairman has been saying over the past several months how trade has created a lot of volatility and instability and in turn has really uh, created a lot of downside risk that the Fed is watching closely. Uh, Powell said again and again, too, that it's not just trade when you're looking at the entire global picture that gives him cause for concern. It's the weight on the global economy and how we're starting to see some drag uh, across the globe, not just in the United States. Now, I do think that Powell painted a pretty accurate picture of the United States economy, which is just that we've got kind of some conflicting data here. We've had some really strong uh, employment uh, reports, really strong employment data. The labor market itself continues to remain very, very strong and very, very tight. Wage growth still, uh, still, uh, I think, probably positive, but uh, the, the chairman did say he would expect to see more given the tightness uh, that we see in the labor market right now. But then he did talk about some of those other fundamental factors that sometimes uh, do give economists cause for concern, things like manufacturing slowing down. One thing that Powell said that I think is super helpful that I don't think we've talked about enough is the fact that the manufacturing slowdown in the United States is not just a domestic story. This is something that is happening the world or the world over. We've seen a turn to a services, uh, uh, the service sector rather than just the manufacturing sector being one of the um, one of the more powerful components of developed economies, and that's something that I think we need to explore more of because that certainly has been one of the main data points that economists and observers are looking at, saying, "Listen, if the economy is doing well, we would expect manufacturing doing so, better." So, so they're keeping rates the same Correct. for now. For now. For now. So if you're in, so so top line view, they're keeping rates the same. And then you've got he leaves the door open, Fed Chair Jay Powell. He leaves the door open for a rate cut. The market kind of interpreted this, not kind of, they did interpret this, that there that there's still going to be a rate cut before the end of the year. But then like you read the actual literature mm-hmm. and they're saying the rate cut's not coming until twenty twenty calendar no. year. So it's like who do you believe? Do you believe the markets? <laughs> do you re- believe the literature? Or do you believe Fed Chair Jay Powell? That's my question to you, Mark Ross. It's almost like we get three different answers about when there's going to be a rate cut. I believe Jay Powell. I thought um, – I'll just say that because <laughs> – I don't know who you believe, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, I do think, though, it is – I mean, last job numbers last month, May, was uh, underperforming, as I recall. It was still growing, but underperforming. And there is this, uh, I don't know, there's like an angst, right? There's some kind of like uncertainty. There's no resolution. Uh, USMCA is not going anywhere. There's no resolution between the U.S. and China. Um, so, you know, I think this patient rate approach, whatever that means in terms of Fed speak, uh, is probably the right move. Well, and so it's interesting, too, that you raise kind of public policy concerns that are creating this anxiety because Ooh. the Fed talked about those and they seemingly are in conflict with one another because the uh, uh, Powell said repeatedly that 
China-U.S. trade tensions are a concern. Um, and he actually got a question from a reporter today about, okay, so does that mean, and I've been thinking about this question, does that mean if we get a trade deal that the Federal Reserve is actually less likely to cut in the future because it is such know. a major, it is such a major uh, drag on on sentiment? Um, and Powell, of course, is very diplomatic his answer. He didn't say one way or the other, but that is certainly something that we need to watch, and I think will create a ton of volatility you know, in the market because the market is watching that very, very you know, closely. Maddie, you always do such a good job of laying this out. I mean, you, you, the, the word sentiment. There's a lot of money behind the word sentiment. <laughs> a lot of people trade on on the notion of sentiment. Uh, and, and I think that it's, you know, I, I don't think we're making light of it when we say that the literature from the Fed versus the public comments from the Fed versus the market reaction from the Fed, you could literally interpret all three of those different communiques. I'm talking so Bloomberg. The communiques <laughs> from uh, those three different buckets. And you, uh, reasonable, smart people could, could get three different interpretations. Um, I do want to play for you this exchange because it's, you know, it's all the chatter here in, in Wonk World about Fed Chair Powell versus President Trump and their, their back and forth. And of course, the Bloomberg exclusive. I got to give a major props to my colleagues, Jennifer Jacobs and Saleh Mosin. I mean, did you see this scoop? Everybody was mm -hmm. talking about it. So last February, when everyone was saying, oh, is Fed Chair Jay Powell going to fire, uh, going to fire, uh, uh, is Fed Chair Powell, is President Trump going to fire Fed Chair Jay Powell? So then they say no, like, and there's all this talk about it. Well, the president wanted to know if he could demote him, <laughs> if he could demote him. How do you demote, demote the Fed chair? So he gets this question uh, from the New York Times earlier today, uh, and here's the Fed chair's response to that. I, um, I think the law is clear that I have a four-year term, and I, I fully intend to serve it. So there's so much to unpackage here. <laughs> he says the law is clear. Well, candidly, I'm not... You know, I'm not breaching the trust of any of our senior sources, but senior level administration officials in the cabinet and whatnot have all testified publicly that they feel there's debate mm -hmm. in the law about whether or not the president has jurisdiction over this, Maddie. Mm -hmm. Powell was giving his best lawyer answer there, which was, listen, this is my personal mandate is to be here for four years, and that's what I intend to do. I think he could, there was no other answer he could have given that I think would have not done a better job um, kind of putting this question to rest as one that the Federal Reserve is, is contemplating. And I will say, too, that was something that we were really watching going into this meeting was, yeah. how is the Fed going to respond to uh, the president's needling this time around because not only has it really escalated in the previous 24 hours to this press conference, but you had the president also tweeting about Mario Draghi from the ECB oh, yeah. saying <laughs> that what they're doing should inform what the Fed is doing. I mean, just constant barrage. So uh, I think that the Fed was very wise to stay in that sense um, because they're once again proving that they are immune to some of these this politicking. Yeah, and the law could say one thing, but as we know, uh, the president is uh, creating new norms here in the, in the District of Columbia, certainly getting more engaged, not only taking on his own Federal Reserve, but commenting on what's happening in Europe. Last night on the campaign trail, talking about China's manipulation of their currency. Uh, there's, there's simply no central bank that is immune from President <laughs> Trump at this time. So, um, But I do think the way the Powell handled it is probably the right way to go. I mean, All right. For him to get in a spat with the president makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Well, you mentioned what he said down in Orlando. Coming up, we're going to have more reaction, more analysis on President Trump's kickoff, his former formal kickoff to the 2020 presidential campaign show. Wouldn't it be funny if Jay Powell just said, 
Ask Mario. Ask Mario what he thinks. <laughs> Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Born to Run. Such a great, iconic American (laughs) song by Bruce Springsteen. One of my all-time favorites. Here with me in studio, two of our our family favorites here at the Sound On family. Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global, a global communications firm which specializes in the intersection of globalization in these populist times. <laughs> and Maddie Dubler, senior fellow. At, I don't know why I, I've like developed. That was this a tick. great tagline. Maddie, I literally <laughs> developed this tick where I like go into like the radio thing, and it's got to stop because it's. I don't very... know. I feel like Mark probably could have like even paid <laughs> you for that, that tagline. Good. That was that was yeah, good. I'm gonna lift that. <laughs> my new Maddie voicemail Dubler, message. senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalition director for the House Republican Conference. All right, we were having such a great conversation during the break. I said, time out. Hold that thought. Let's keep it for the show. President Trump wants to see the rates cut, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and the Fed chair, Jay Powell, today at the press conference saying that rates are going to go unchanged for now. They they have another announcement, obviously, next month. Uh, but but he wants to see the rates cut, Maddie. Yeah, because, Kevin, you asked me, you're like, well, the president should be happy with this policy decision, right? If we're not doing, we're not raising rates, we're staying where we are. And I said, no, like, he wants to see a cut because he wants to see that juice in the market. Now, if you look a little further beyond just today and into July, um, and Powell referenced this in his call, comments to the size of the cut when it eventually arrives is going to be a big source of contention. I personally think that you actually, to get any stimulative effect from this, it's got to be 50 basis points. It can't be 25. It can't be seen as the Fed just kind of nibbling around the edges. It needs to be seen as a sincere policy move that is meant to recognize a change in fundamentals in the economy. Um, So I think that's my expectation right now for July. But as we mentioned before, things could always change. We could get a deal with China. We could see some of this global growth pickup. We could see uh, domestic reports of GDP really improve from expectations. We don't know. It's going to be a fun, uh, you know, 90 days or so. I think from a very simple uh, political calculation, I mean, for Trump to get reelected, the economy is, you know, one of the top three issues for him. So keeping the economy hot, as Maddie talked about, if he can land a trade deal, whatever that looks like, be very positive. And let's not forget, the president loves the New York Stock Exchange. The index is a barometer of the economy. It's a very easily recognizable number for people that are voting. So the economy front and center is number one. So whatever he has to do, uh, putting pressure on Powell, putting pressure on Capitol Hill, putting pressure on Draghi, putting pressure on the Chinese currency, I think he'll do it all. And I think we'll see a lot more of that from Trump. He tweeted earlier this week about how if anyone else is elected, the stock market will tank as a result. Um, you know, and I've talked ad nauseum about how conflating the stock market with the economy is a little bit of a fool's errand, particularly when the president has a lot that he can talk about that's very positive in the economy. Um, and the stock market, of course, has a lot of other exogenous factors that can certainly uh, change at any time. But the president will, I think, probably, you're right, Mark, be hitting both of those uh, themes as we move closer and closer to the election. All right. It's like it's like the Nats and the Phillies, you know, the U.S. and China, these trade <laughs> talks. Or, or I guess now that analogy could work with uh, Trump and, and Jay Powell or Trump and Mario. So, you yeah. know, it's all 
It's all in good sports fun, I guess. Uh, all right, I want to talk last night because yeah. a lot of these themes, the Fed speak, it, it came up in Orlando, Orlando, Florida. So there's we had Mark Lauder on yesterday, uh, mm. the, the strategic comms director. He's like the Maddie of the, the House Conference, but for Trump <laughs> world. He was down there. He was eating at the food trucks. They had food trucks. That's the thing. If you've never been to a Trump rally, they've got food trucks. It's like a whole I mean, thing, right? It's a whole thing. Yeah. So literally, when I was on the trail last time, last cycle, I mean, I would just be eating chicken fingers every night while the Clinton campaign embeds would have like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they were eating, but <laughs> we I was in, you know, a lot of other people in the press griped. I was like, this is good food. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. <laughs> Let's start off with what President Trump had to say about how he's defining the Democrats. Last night in Orlando, Florida, here's President Trump on radical Democrats. Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. They, I, where do you... They want to destroy you. Maddie, I, I mean, you were the messaging arm of the House <laughs> Republican... Co do, do Democrats want to destroy people? Yeah, I, I mean, the president, we all know, does not communicate the way that we have all kind of consulted and told our politicians in the past to communicate. I would have obviously approached this, this uh, speech saying, you know, draw a contrast in <laughs> visions for the American public. Now, the president certainly did that. Just instead of contrasting a lot of different policy, he really decided to go strong on how the president messages, which is kind of this alternate future of Democrats versus Republicans. And the only choice for any American is to choose the Republican. Yeah, I think we've got a situation here where I'm calling the uh, the four Ds. So Trump wants to define the Democrats, and he wants to demonize the Democrats. And he's going to do that. He's got a very uh, feeble... 4D, not to be confused with 5G. That's correct. <laughs> this is the 4D approach uh, for communications. Correct? Not the 5G, but I think you've got a situation here. Uh, if you look at Biden, if Biden is the candidate... Uh, Trump can say, you know, Joe's an insider. He's a failed. He's from a failed administration. Let's say Elizabeth Warren or that part of the wing is the nominee. Uh, he could say, listen, Venezuela is right around the corner. But the thing that's going to be interesting: while these 24 Democrats run around the country for the next six, seven months to get the nomination, Trump has free space to mm -hmm. define them, and will do it on a daily basis, which is a huge advantage for him. I mean, there's so much to unpackage from last night's speech, but I think for me, the top line view is. Get ready, folks. Get ready from the intro, from Don Jr.'s intro oh, yeah. speech to First Lady Melania Trump. I mean, they're fired up. They feel that yeah. they've been that they've been under attack. They've been under siege for what two and a half years now. They've largely been confined by the, all of the, the the Washington swamp, as they would refer to it as. And last night, they thought, you know what, we're going to pack a stadium and we're going to come out. Swinging. Well, well um, there was some, there were some great tweets yesterday too, kind of revisiting the headlines in 2015 when Trump came down the golden escalator of all of the uh, guffawing from the establishment press saying this can't be serious. Can you believe Donald Trump is running for president? So you got to know that the campaign is just relishing this moment, saying not only did we win, we're coming back with a vengeance in 2020. It's the sequel. Here's Bernie <laughs> Sanders. I got it. So we we played for you. I still, again, I'm not. I I'm a journalist. But I, this quote, they want to destroy you. Okay, well, here's Senator Bernie Sanders, who I guess is like the antithesis, really, of, the, of, of Donald Trump in many ways. So here's, here's Bernie Sanders, and here's what he had to say after the speech. Listening to Trump uh, made me feel very much uh, that he is a man living in a 
parallel universe, uh, a man way out of touch with the needs of ordinary people, uh, and a man who must be defeated. So that's, that's Senator Bernie Sanders, Mark. Uh, that was um, pretty rousing. I th what's interesting <laughs> is um, the Democrats are running around. They're, they're saying Trump is an existential threat, and so they're decided 24 of them need to decide who's the best person. And they're going to play politics the way it's always been it's played. It's just so and, dramatic, and that's where right. I want to leave it for yeah. right now. Trump's saying they want to destroy you. Then Democrats are saying it's a parallel universe. Take a breath. Coming up, we've got much more fallout of the politics and the policy of last night's speech. Hope Hicks, former communications director to President Trump, and back on the campaign trail. She was on Capitol Hill. I'll give you the latest on that as well. And Huawei, Huawei is back in the news. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. They called you and us. You remember this? They called us deplorables. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake. That was President Trump. President Trump last night in Orlando, Florida, talking about hashtag deplorables <laughs> with me in the studio mark ross founder and ceo of caracal global uh global uh a global special a firm that specializes in globalization at during these populist times and maddie dupler senior fellow at the national taxpayers union former coalitions director for the house republican conference i mean he's bringing up deplorables maddie he's bringing up deplorables i want to return to a point that mark made that i think was a really good one about what's going to happen during this primary season. And, you know, I had mentioned how Trump didn't set out any policy vision next uh, last night, because why should he? We have 24 Democrats who are ripping each other to shreds and are going to spend the next, I don't know, 12 months doing so. Don't expect the president to be articulating any nuanced policy vision for the country when that is where all of the attention is going to be. There's no reason for him to stake out a new policy position or a new uh, campaign position because he's just going to spend his time pointing to the Democrats and saying, is this what you want, America? It doesn't look good to me. Do you think we're going to get a health care plan, though? The White House is really invested yeah. in continuing to create something um, out of nothing on health care. The White House, I think, learned pretty quickly that Republicans have been trying not just for eight years, but for you know 60 years to come up with a consensus health care plan and haven't quite yet. I think there certainly will be uh, administrative action on health care. I'm not sure that we'll see something that really has consensus um, and will be considered a, a, full sale, a full sale plan. But I think there will certainly be continued discussion about health care leading into the primaries. Mark, I don't like I the policy stuff out of the White House. I, I don't know who's working at the White House anymore. I mean, people are leaving on a daily basis. Like I don't feel. Oh, like serious I think that you're. You know, I'm gonna have to say this. I, listen, been I've been steady I, recently. But I think to actually move legislation through Congress is a Herculean task. It's a very serious, complicated process. I mean, that's why they're not and doing I, it, though, right? right we saw, we saw like, an HRA announcement from okay, the White House so today that's executive orders. I don't feel like there's any energy. For you. So, I've got, to your point, Mark, I mean, I, I was in uh, where what, the – I, where's the Dunkin' Donuts in the basement of the house building? Is that considered Rayburn? It's like halfway in between That's Longworth. That's considered Rayburn. The Rayburn Dunkin' Donuts. 
You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's considered a rave. Yeah, so I'm down at the Dunkin' Donuts basement. I'm talking with the with some Democratic staffers, and I'm like, "Are you guys gonna are you gonna make a deal with Trump on USMCA or not?" And they were speaking on background, so I'm not you know giving up anyone. Uh, and they said, "Really, no one's really excited for this." I mean, and even the moderate Democrats on USMCA or NAFTA 2.0. They would rat. I mean, when you have moderate Democrats now saying that they want to impeach the president, they certainly don't want to hand them a deal on USMCA. So you've got Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative up on Capitol Hill yesterday and today saying that he's working with Speaker Pelosi on on getting USMCA ahead of August. But I got to tell you, that does not mesh at all, Mark, with what I'm hearing from the sources that I'm talking with uh, who who work with these Democrats. And, And frankly, if they were going to make any type of deal, According to these people, they would rather get it done on infrastructure, which is not likely. No, 100 percent. I think I, I still am baffled <laughs> from day one. The Trump team didn't go with infrastructure, but that's another yeah. discussion. But, <laughs> but on USMCA, I, USMCA or healthcare, I think it'll be interesting in terms of policy. Is there a Senate race that can be switched or protected for some kind of policy? Then I think there'll be some impetus. But the idea that the White House is going to lead policy going forward. I just don't see it. I think we're in a campaign situation for the next 500 plus days. Yeah, Kev, I want to push back a little bit on the characterization that there's not a ton of appetite on the Democratic side, because that's not what I'm hearing from a lot of these offices, where some of these members, when they go home, the pressure they get is not, why aren't you impeaching the president? The pressure they get is, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, why aren't you doing anything? And that is the chorus that is going to get louder and louder as we get closer to the election. I want to stick with USMCA, because I mean, there's been developments on this, Mm -hmm. in the sense that you've got Lighthizer up there saying he wants to get USMCA done ahead of the August recess. Everybody knows Speaker Pelosi doesn't want to have anyone put pressure on her with what to do with the calendar. Neither does Leader McConnell, by the way. This mm-hmm. is indicative of a leadership role in, in, in Congress. And so the only thing that would really drive this to the the, the, the notion of, of there having to be an urgency to get USMCA passed, and most whip counts would argue that it does have the votes, uh, would be if the president withdraws from NAFTA, because that would trigger a quote-unquote emer- a political emergency and I'm just staring this down. And I agree with Maddie. I agree with Mark that the votes are essentially there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think leadership right now wants to give them a vote. Right. And, and that's Do you agree a, that's, with that? I'm yeah, curious. Oh, yeah. I'm very curious for the what you guys The challenge on the Demo- – and, and the White House has, has been clear on this, uh, that they want to be able to pursue USMCA in partnership with House Democrats. So they're giving Nancy Pelosi this opportunity to talk about – talk through it with her caucus about what they need to get it done. But – the timeline is very important. Your point so about the narrow. schedule is a really good one because we all know that if it doesn't have traction by the end of August, it's not getting done. You crazy. can tell us there's still time left on the calendar. There's not time left in the Washington, D.C. type calendar. I think you can see pressure maybe possibly from the outside. One of the Before we went on air, one of the branches of uh, the government in Mexico advanced mm-hmm. USMCA, mm-hmm. and Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, will be in D.C. tomorrow, uh-huh. uh, meeting with people on the Hill and Vice President Pence. So maybe there's an appetite there. But I I think there's only 21 odd days, legislative days left. And Trudeau's got popularity amongst Democrats, so right. I mean, less, so, pop, less popularity in his own country now. So, He's got all his own problems there, but yeah, and Democrats here like him. They like him. So I mean, it's it's it, it is fascinating to watch Mexico and Canada. They're doing what they said they would do, uh, but it's it's really up to to Americans. And if they don't, and I, I said this to Tom Keen earlier on Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Television. Uh, and he made this point, you know, if they don't and a Democrat wins, it's like literally back to the drawing exactly. board on, on, on USMCA. Coming up, 
we talk more 2020, more politics, more policy. Mark Ross stays. Maddie Duppler stays. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. It's Wednesday, folks. More rain tonight? Come on, Phillies and Nats. Let's go, Phillies. Sorry, don't pull off the road. I just, I will never root for, for the Nats. Like, go Phillies, and we got Harper, and just the way it all worked out. The way it all works out with Mark Ross, founder of Caracol Global. He's here, Maddie Duppler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. And not a baseball fan. Really? Are you a Phillies fan? No, I just don't like baseball. I'm a Tigers fan, and I don't think the Tigers Ooh. have won since uh, <laughs> well, that's April. That's rough, Mark. I think, yeah, I think they're 2-17 and 17 last uh, 19 games. Thanks. Oh, Nancy Lyons good. is in our group chat, and she just said boo hiss. Sorry, Nance, we're still <laughs> friends. Uh, we were talking about President Trump's speech last night in Orlando, Florida, which, by the way, I couldn't get enough of. I mean, just the Twitter. <laughs> well, good, because I we're about like, to enter a lot of well, it, well, Kev. Well, I mean, we live for this. So, like, I, I've got, like, my Twitter screen open to see what the Dems are saying. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, Trump and the reaction. You've got the reporters. And, you know, I'm like Jen Jacobs on Twitter, you know, my friend Jen. And she's having the videos, you know, Mark Lauder saying there's food trucks. And I'm like, come on, send me down there, Bloomberg. So you've got a host of all of these different action things. But there's this great article up on the Bloomberg terminal. I love this article because it really dives into the data, the data up on the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, And it's by our colleagues. And they report on this poll that was conducted by the Pew Research Center. And it says that, are you ready for this? Because I don't want to get these numbers wrong. The majority of Americans feel the nation's political discourse has become more negative. Okay, so we're all on the same page. (laughs) Thank you, Pew. Thank you, Pew. (laughs) But it goes deeper than that, Mark. And it says uh, that more than half of the respondents say that the president has changed the tone and nature of political discussion for the worse, while 24% said he's changed it for the better. Hmm. Um, and I think that it's interesting to watch this because I, this is how I want to frame this this final segment in the final uh, couple of minutes that we have, is how are the Democrats going to take him on? Are they going to take the Jay Powell approach and not engage and be uh, non-engaging with him? Or are they going to go the Senator Bernie Sanders route and try to be combative? Are they going to do, you know, I think former Vice President Joe Biden has sort of tried to do that. I still believe, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe I know nothing, which I, I, I know nothing. I know enough to know that I know nothing. But maybe I, I really think it's going to be the candidates who take the gloves off on each other that are going to break out I, I, on, on that debate stage in Miami round one, which we're literally a week away from. I will be in Miami. I'm very excited. We're broadcasting from down there. Um, but I don't know. I want to leave it open to you guys. What do you think? I think 100%. I think we get a situation where the Democrats are like the PBS, Julia Child's cooking show, the Trump <laughs> campaign, it's Guy Fieri's. I hope you know, News Hour isn't listening. <laughs> and it's just, it, you know, even this week, uh, Senator Kobachar, who I you know, have huge respect for, but she came out with 100 policies. I mean, 
The idea that Americans want to elect a technocrat with numerous policies, I think it's just, it's just we're not there. Yeah, and I think the game has been changed uh, like we haven't seen before. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that 24% think that the president has changed it for the better because I've been seeing some super interesting polling that basically says, like, okay, I don't love President Trump's style, really wish he'd lay well, off the tweets, but I'm with the guy because he's changing Washington. Well, you ready for this? Same Pew poll. You brought it up. You led me to my next point. 54%. Of all respondents, so this is Republicans and Democrats, 54% of all of the, those polled said that, quote, at least sometimes they feel entertained mm -hmm. by President Trump's comments. Uh, so, I mean, there is, I mean, like when you watch him, I mean, there's this element of entertainment. I'm not suggesting don't pull over your car, don't cause a crash, wake up. I'm not saying that people want to be entertained by their politicians. I'm saying that according to this poll, 54% of all respondents say that they at least sometimes feel entertained by the president's remarks. No, we've 100% entered an age of uh, personality trumping politics uh, or tr trumping policy, and it, there's no going back. I mean, there's just so much coverage now. We've simplified the process. More and more people, there's more coverage. And it, this is a sample size of one. This is my father, so this is the most... Uh, interesting data point, but he is a voter in Ohio, and he said, sure, Trump is crazy, but I already know he's crazy, and I'm fine with it. Like, we already yeah. know. It's already there. Like, let's just keep this thing no, going. No, seriously. And, like, people feel okay with it. Sorry, Mark. I mean, interrupt you, but I got so excited about talking about our Midwestern parents. I'm from Wisconsin, and this was a data point that stuck with me, too. You know, when I was working on the Hill, I'd go home, and I have parents and parents' friends who are all very, very Republican, and they would be so frustrated by John Boehner and Mitch McConnell and say, like, they don't stand up enough. They don't do enough. And I could never really articulate what the doing that they weren't accomplishing was that was frustrating them so much. But this is why the Trump antics don't bother people like that, because they think everyone in Washington is the same. The three of us sitting here think that, like, we all get stuff done. Everyone else outside Washington, D.C. looks at us and says we don't do done. Everyone outside Washington, D.C. says that we don't do anything and that's why they like trump well, because he's broken the mold catholic guilt i didn't clean my apartment last night trump <laughs> raised 24.8 million dollars in less than 24 hours according to the rnc 24.8 million dollars in less than 24 hours all right i want to switch it up hope hicks we got i want to hit on this quickly uh she appeared closed door testimony do we think you're going to get anything new no. out of no <laughs> i think so I mean, what I think, think this is a big deal. I mean, Why? I, you know, I just don't I, I've long believed the impeachment process is going to happen, whether in the short term or long term, Trump will be impeached. Uh, and you I think really believe he's going to be impeached if he's reelected. They can't even get USMCA passed. You think there's no. room on the calendar <laughs> well, for impeachment proceedings? I do think. Yes, I think they're doing the Democrats are being very smart. Systematically bringing this stuff out. Okay, Mark, the fact I want to ask you. It's closed doors. Listen, I want to ask could you a question wrong. about that. Okay. Say, twenty twenty, Trump is reelected. Uh, Republicans don't lose the House, but they make some gains in the House, and they have a pretty strong showing in the Senate. You really think that these Democrats are going to walk the plank in these states where Republicans are still doing well in statewide elections? One hundred percent. All right, because it's not about his behavior; it's about a systematic breakdown of the rule. And of law there was I want to I want to bring the news as well because there was a development on this front. Speaker Pelosi says she's not going to go a censure route. She's not going to go a censure route. We've got sixty seconds left. We've unfortunately have to hit the buzzer. Uh, Huawei development, Senator Mitt Romney trying to prevent President Donald Trump from doing what many in Congress fears he plans to do, go easy on Huawei technologies. He's got uh, an amendment that he submitted to the NDA Act, uh, which would set specific conditions for the Commerce Secretary to remove Huawei 
from a U.S. blacklist. Uh, so it would make it more difficult uh, for, for them to do that. I want to thank Mark Ross. I want to thank Maddie Duppler. Uh, coming up tomorrow as well as later in the week, we'll have more on the China trade front and, of course, more on Huawei as well. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.